Thank you. You can sit down. I'm so glad that uh, you are here this morning. Um, that next to the last song we sang and that one, kind of hard to sing. Make a liar out of it, won't it? Lord, take everything. You really want to do that? This morning I'm, I'm speaking on a, a topic out of Acts 19, and then we're going to take a break. I'll talk about that later. Um, from Acts, and we will be talking just about family for about six weeks, about what God intends for the family. So that might be good for all of us, good for me, I know, uh, as I've been studying for that. Uh, uh, but anyway, today uh, I, I call this, I, I thought I changed the title to Dealing with Demons, but I obviously gave uh, Debbie the one that had the old title on it. Uh, which, uh, go ahead and put it up. Is it up there? Y'all know it says dealing with demons. Um, some reason in the, in, in the uh, worship thing it says fighting demons. No, seriously. <laughs> uh, that was just, sometimes I put jokey things down for myself, but I think it's a better way to say it. But today I'm going to talk about this. And, and listen, this isn't an easy subject to talk about. And, and, I'll, and, and I'll tell you why. It's because uh, anytime you expose Satan, you open yourself up to him. That's part of the fight. Remember, when you're in range, so is the enemy. Or when the enemy's in range, so are you, is how we put it. And, and so whenever we do that, and so sometimes in dealing with Satan and his, and his evil hordes, we make two mistakes. We ignore them or we give them too much credit. And both those are, are extremes that we, we, we can't afford to live with. So I'll, I'll talk about it as I go forward. But right now, um, we'll read the scripture in a minute and all that, and I know it, it feels out of place. We're going to pray first. Uh, and then I'll, I'll read the scripture in a little bit. But let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and just ask you to pray with me uh, in your heart and your mind. Father God, in Jesus' name, as we come before your throne, Lord, we do, we do not come lightly. We understand the awesome price it costs for us to call you Father, to, to become a, a, a brother to our Lord Jesus Christ, to become a joint heir. That's not something we did or we could have done. That's all on you. You did that. And then you commanded that we could come to your throne with boldness in the name of the grace of Jesus. And so, Lord, what we do and do boldly, we do not because we have taken it upon ourselves, but because it is a gift from you. It's something you gave us, and it would dishonor you if we did not do that. And so, Lord, today I, I'm dealing with a topic that, that I would never feel adequate to, to address, I don't believe. But, but God, you've given us some light, and, and you command us to know and to know more. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that today you would be honored, you'd be glorified, that you would show us your way and, and how that you uh, do things and, and want us to do things. So, Lord, I'm asking you to do what we cannot do because it is in your power and your strength. We submit ourselves to you. We ask you to teach us what you want us to know. And, Lord, uh, as we actively resist the devil with our minds and our hearts and our lives, we ask you to, Lord, um, rebuke him for us. We ask you to uh, stand between us and him. Give us freedom in this auditorium. We realize that even as you prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Satan was there, and that, that you had no relief from his presence and his attacks. And so why would we think we would? And so that's why you prayed a lot. That's why you were calling on the Father. That's why you were always in battle against him. And in that, that final moment of prayer, it wasn't that he won. It was that you voluntarily went to a cross for us, that you submitted yourself to the will of the Father. And what looked like a victory for our enemy as you died on a cross, three days later would be revealed as the very power of God to give us salvation, 
to bring to us this relationship we have with you. So Lord, we don't take lightly what you did there, that you put on flesh and suffered in that flesh, and that, that you lived a perfect life, but you became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in you. And so Jesus, thank you. And we know the words thank you aren't enough, but Lord, may we indeed be utterly abandoned. May we, we say take it all, Lord, to know you in the, in the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, Lord. We, we know you. We want to know you. And so, Lord, give us your grace today. And, Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified as we uh, approach this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you know anything about uh, the devil, uh, and, and not from popular media or thought, uh, he was a fallen angel. He was crazy enough to think that he could be better than God. And uh, uh, I, I, this isn't part of uh, the main text, but I, I want you to look uh, with me in Mark chapter 3. I just want to read a, a verse to you and help you understand it. Mark chapter 3 and verse 27. Uh, Jesus had done a great work, and, the, and the, the religious leaders claimed that he did it by the power of the devil. If you back up to verse 22, the scribes who came down were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub, it's another name for Satan. And, it, and the, by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And Jesus said, that doesn't even make sense. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. But no one can enter, and check out verse 27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he, has, he, uh, he ha, uh, may plunder his house. Now, at first I ever read that, and I kind of just read over it. I thought, like, uh, Jesus is a strong man, or we're the strong man, and, and, oh, if we get bound up. But Jesus is telling us Satan is the strong man, because let me, let me just make a statement here, uh, that none of us in our flesh are strong enough to battle Satan. No matter how far you go, no matter how mature you get in your spiritual life, if you battle Satan in the flesh, you're going to lose every time. I mean, I, I watched some of those films and, and I saw some of those live when Iron Mike Tyson was at his prime. I, I mean, you know, Muhammad Ali was supposed to be the greatest of all time, but he danced around a lot. Mike could just walk out there and, you know, in a couple of seconds go pop and one button down. He always said, everybody thinks they can win until you smash them in the face. You know, that was his quote. And I mean, he was just unreal. And can you imagine, here's this super heavyweight guy could, could knock an elephant out, and here I am in my used-to-be 150-pound frame. Uh, I won't tell you how much I weigh because it's none of your business. Uh, but anyway, that I get off the stool try to get in the ring with that dude, uh-uh, ain't happening. You know, if you give me a gun, maybe, a bazooka better, you know, and yet people try to fight Satan in their flesh. You're going to lose every time. That's why the Bible says this. Weapons are warfare, spiritual, not carnal. To the tearing down of strongholds and taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And, and so this is a dangerous thing. I want to give you an acronym for the word war. W-A-R. We are ready. If you go to war without being ready, you're not ready. And I, I got a little sub-statement under that, and it's this. Things are not as they seem. The way we do warfare in America may, is not different, but the way Satan works in America is different than works anywhere else in the world. And so when I talk about this topic, you see many of you are comfortable coming to church, 
and, and, and you, you, you may even endure me going overtime and sit to the end before you leave, and then you don't think about this until next week. That, Satan's already got you. He's already got you because you don't pray anymore, you don't read your Bible anymore, you don't tell anybody else about Christ, you don't even think about it. It's just a Sunday morning religious ritual to you. Now, I don't have anybody in mind when I say that. If that stepped on your toes, I, I apologize in the sense that that wasn't my intention. Uh, but, but I'm just telling you that we are in a war, whether you are in the war or not, he is, our enemy is. And I've noticed that, that sometimes we don't realize that the principle Jesus is laying down here is before you go to war, you better bind Satan. You got to bind the strong man. Listen, we are walking into his territory in two weeks. Now, this isn't the most drastic way we can do it, but we're going to be putting out some, the gospel through a, one means. I mean, this, is, this isn't the best way, the perfect way, but it is a way, and we will try every way we can to get the gospel to people. We need to talk to people. We need to pray for people, and that's why you ought to have already signed up on Bless Every Home and sign up under uh, Calvary so that we can know that people are praying. Uh, my wife and I do that, and this past week we went to a few homes around us and gave out cookies with a note that said, we just wanted you to know we're praying for you, and we put our name and address on there because we all live on the same street. And I could go into stories, but I don't have much, enough time. But even in that, I got, got a couple of three great little stories just talking to people on the street and giving them cookies. Four, actually, in my head now. Four particular stories. But we, we are at war, and we are ready. I, I remember back in the 70s, it was a great, and early 80s, there was a great songwriter, Keith Green, and, and he wrote a song called Sleep in the Light. And he says, the world is dying in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. We live in a culture, and, and especially here in the South, if you're older like I am, we have a cultural Christianity. What that means is, well, you're supposed to go to church. They so go to church without ever having a reality of relationship with the Lord. And you've got to have that reality of relationship. I'm saying some stuff I ought to say later in the sermon. I'll go ahead and put it out there right now. And so the way the devil works in America is he just blinds us to him. He blinds us to who he is and what he's doing. He keeps us fat and happy. He, gives us, he lets us have enough food. He lets us have shelter. He lets us have everything we need. And so we now live in a society where to call sin, sin makes you hateful. I mean, we're in a time where everything, all thinking is upside down and twisted backwards to what God says. I mean, I don't hate anybody, but I'm not going to tell you that the thing that's killing you is okay. And I don't want you to do that for me either. I mean, I'm a diabetic. been a diabetic 53 years now. Uh, going on at least. And I do not want to sit down and the doctor say, hmm, I don't know, maybe you're eating a few too many sweets. Why don't you cut out donuts? No, I want to say, dude, you got a disease you better deal with with medicine and attention or it's going to kill you. Because whether I ignore it or I deal with it, I got it. And I'm telling you, if you ignore the devil or deal with him, he's coming after you no matter what. We are in a war. And I, I got to tell you that. you got to wake up to that fact. Uh, and, and, and so sometimes we, we, we think, well, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. Or, or it's not time for that yet. You know, because, we're, as, as, as I say, we're, we're not aware of how insidious and dangerous it is. Uh, I, I, was, I, was, I read this story one time in World War II, in case you're too young and didn't learn this in history class, 
Germany bombed England. They flew over the channel and they would bomb England. It was called the Blitzkrieg, a uh, German word for coming in fast and blowing things up. I don't know exactly the exact translation. If you're German or no German, you can tell me later. And they bombed the capital of London. They were dropping bombs. And so then after the bombing, people go out and try to rescue people. And so this one rescue crew was pulling rubble out of a house, found out there was an older woman under the rubble. She was okay. She wasn't really injured badly, but they're getting all the rubble off of her. And along with her was a bottle of brandy. And so the rescuers opened it to give her a little sip to whatever brandy would do to you, because I've never had a sip, so I don't know, but uh, to help her. And she said, no, no, don't open it. I'm saving that for an emergency. <laughs> and what I'm telling you is our houses are being bombed down around us, and we've got something that will help us, something that will save us, and we just want to hold it in reserve in case there's an emergency. We are in an emergency. And I may sound crazy saying that because you don't feel it, you don't sense it, you don't see it. But I'm telling you, it's happening. It's been past two weeks, I, I, have, I have felt it. My wife and I have felt it coming on us here. It's, it's here. The devil is not happy at all. And I don't want to tell a horror story, so I won't. But it's, it's sort of like those three different kind of Christians that, that died and went to hell. You know, people claim to be Christian go to hell. Y'all know that, right? Because it's not about your label, it's about your relationship. But one was, was like he believed once saved, always saved. And the other one believed that you could lose your salvation. And one was more of a cultural Christian today. You know, listen to Christian radio and God loves me and everything's hunky-dory. Right? And so they wake up in hell and the one that believed that once you're saved, you can never lose your salvation started going, man, I thought I had it, but I didn't. I thought I had it, but I didn't. And the one thought you could lose your salvation was going, I had it, but I lost it. I had it, but I lost it. And the cultural Christian was going, I'm not here, and it's not hot. I'm not here, and it's not hot. No, you're there. It's hot. Friend, it's, you're in trouble. We're in trouble, and we've got to understand that. And so we want, the problem is we want the blessing without the battle. And here's what I want you to remember today. So when we go after Satan king, Satan's kingdom, he comes after us. You can, you can take that to the bank. You can underline that. You can make that in bold print. If you go after the devil, he'll come after us. And, and it's okay. He's going to come after you anyway. Jesus told us in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And that word destroy means slaughter by slit in the throat. But I've come to give you life, and that life in abundance. Well, let me read the, these verses for us, beginning in verse 10 of Acts 19. Why don't you stand up, because I'm going to read the 11 verses. I'll give you a break. Verse 10 says, This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And the Son and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that have been touched that had touched his skin, were carried away the sick, and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, or leapt on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. 
And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You can, you can be seated. You heard me read that verse 10 on the, on the film. And by the way, we, I, we came, I came in Monday. I said, you know, we need to make a commercial. And, and Pastor Andy said, that's a good idea. And we called Brother Dave and he came over. And so I, I did, when I left the house that morning, I wasn't planning to do that. And you could tell I had a bad hair day. So Janice said, how did it come out? I said, I look drunk. But other than that, it's good. Um, but I read that verse there. Notice what's happening, and we'll go back to 18, and we'll come back up to this passage later, and I'll skip over some of these verses. But Paul is doing a work in Ephesus so that everybody in Asia Minor heard the gospel. Let me just tell you, a church at Hierapolis uh, was founded in this time. The church at Colossae, we get the book of Colossians, is founded at this time. And the seven books, uh, the seven Churches in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation are all churches that were founded while Paul was there in Ephesus preaching. That is the importance of this location. And Paul is preaching God's word and, everybody, and as he teaches people, they're going out and they're spreading the word so that everybody within two years heard the word of God. They didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, they didn't even have printing. All they had was word of mouth and, and the gospel. And so all these people heard, so it's no wonder... The devil's going to try to do something. If the devil can't destroy it, he'll distort it. If he can't distort it, he'll make a fakery of it. There's a lot of things that the devil does that we have to have spiritual discernment to know that it's of the devil because it looks so good. And so God's doing miracles, it tells us, through Paul. Like I said, you start doing kingdom work, and the devil will show up. And in verse 11 and 12, it's talking about all these miracles. You say, what do you think about miracles? I want some. I don't know about you, but, but I, I want some. Some people think there aren't miracles. I believe there are. I just believe I, I don't control those. God controls those. That when you read the Bible carefully, you notice there are ages of miracles. And some people believe there are no, some of these miracles that are listed don't happen today. Well, I've seen some of those listed happen today, so I know they do. I know it was from God, so I don't get all bent out of shape about that. But those things were happening because the people they're preaching to didn't have access to the Word of God. I, I said a few weeks ago, I got two shelves full of Bibles plus more. You probably, I, I, I think this is... Uh, Accurate, but, but most Christians own at least one Bible, many of us several Bibles. I don't know how the average of numbers of Bibles in homes, but it's in, in most hotel rooms you ever in. The Bible's everywhere, but the problem is we've got to open it up and read it and understand and believe it, right? And, and live it out. So they didn't have all that. So when they were preaching the gospel, God would do special things so that people would pay attention and know it was from God. Now, again, Satan will try to copy some of those miracles, but, but that's what God is doing. But it showed Paul was from God. And notice that it says some were healed and some, the, the evil spirits came out, and some it was both. All sickness is not because you got a demon, but sometimes it is. Okay? And, or you can have a demon without being sick. And, and that's just a reality. But just understand that God is doing a great work, and we want God to do a great work here. And when I say we, I'm talking about me and everybody agrees with me. Do you agree with me? You want to see God do a great work? All right, well... The devil doesn't like that. And so every time you go to attempt a great work, things will happen. I tell you, as we're going out to leave on that Saturday to go out, some of you said, I'm going, and that Saturday's going to come, and you're going to have every reason in the book not to go. 
Just push through it and go if you can, at all can. Don't, don't let something other than death stop you. All right, so these miracles are happening, but then I want to get down to this dealing with the demons part because that's the, the, the main thing I want you to see. In verse 13, there were some itinerant Jewish, Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those that evil spirits. What we learned from some history is that there would be these groups of people who would do exorcism. And in that day, they believed that either what they were looking at was fake, and, and, or they would, uh, I'm sorry, the, the exorcist would do something that would, like, fake people out, or, or they just didn't even believe it was real. They thought, and, and a lot of people in America would think it's not real. Um, but again, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. That don't make it real, just because I tell you I saw it. But I, I believe it because the Bible says it, and then I've also witnessed it. And so these itinerant Jewish exorcists, they'd go around, and, you know, I guess you'd pay them off or something to do it. And the Bible says that there are seven of these guys, and they're all the sons of one man who's a Jewish high priest, uh, a man named Sceva. And so they undertook to invoke the name of Jesus over the people who had evil spirits, and they said, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, here, here's what I want you to get from the way that is said, the way they said it. They invoked the name of, of God with whom they had no relationship, being preached by a, by a man with whom they had no relationship. You've got to understand this. If you're going to deal with demons, you've got to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you are a helpless lamb. There's nothing you can do. You are just shooting fish in a barrel. The only hope and chance you got is to know Jesus Christ. And if you have never just stopped and said, God, you can, like we were singing, you can have it all. I just want you. Because when you got God, you got everything. If everything of this world was taken from me, I would be no worse off and no better off than I am now. Because that is not the substance of my life. The substance of my life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that, that is the most important thing. Well, these guys didn't have that relationship. They just thought Paul's pulling a magic trick. Paul is, you know, using psychological stuff. He's either faking people out or something like that. Or they thought it was just a magic formula. If I learned the magic formula and I could say these words. So that's what they say. I, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I laugh every time I read the demon's response. And I don't laugh because I think, you know, oh, ha, ha, they got theirs. I, I laugh because, oh, my goodness. Look what happens when you go and try to do something. You don't have the power, the authority to do. It's about authority, not about strength. They said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? See, if, if they had had the authority of Jesus, they didn't have it. I don't know if you pay attention when I'm praying. I'm not asking you to just listen to my prayer, but you can't, almost can't help but hear it. And I in the authority of Jesus Christ, because it is in his name that all of, number one, in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. And he brought the Father to us by dying on a cross, and then poured out the Holy Spirit so that we would know Jesus, and in knowing Jesus, we would have the Holy Spirit and be the sons of the Father. The Holy Spirit completes that work for, for us. 
and, and baptizes us into the family of God, spiritually speaking, and we, as Baptists, we recognize it and show it symbolically through water baptism, but it's about the spiritual baptism in God. And so they only knew Jesus as the guy who Paul preached, and these demons respond, we know Paul, we know Jesus, we don't know you. You see, these exorcist guys, they could fool the Ephesian people, but they couldn't fool Satan. Notice that? And if you're going to get in the ring with Satan, you better not be playing games because he knows you or doesn't know you, but he knows, he knows who Jesus is. I, I don't have any strength in myself. It's all in Christ. And so demons here, they, they do something foolish in that they expose themselves. But this one guy jumps on seven grown men and beats the fool out of them. I don't know if y'all say that where you're from, but we, it's a term we use. And they ran out naked and wounded. But now I want you to notice what God does after this. This event becomes known to everyone, and fear fell on everyone, it says in verse 17. All the residents of Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. It was made great. That's what that word extolled means. I don't know what your version says, but the word literally means made great. Everybody went, oh my goodness, and then Jesus is shown as the mighty one. His name is made great. Uh, I don't have much time. I have a story in my head, but I, I don't have time to tell you, but that is the result of true spiritual activity. Jesus is made much of. You see, there in verses 18 and 19, we see true repentance happening amongst the people. Uh, we, we talk about repentance as if saying sorry is repentance. That's not. When I say I'm sorry, it just means I'm sorry I got caught. That's sorrow. Repentance is when you act differently. When you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to do this. And so look what it says in 18 and 19. Many of those who now... Uh, who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. There's some people that added Jesus on and Jesus never comes next. They didn't want to let go of their evil practices. They were into this. They were into the occult. They are into this witchcraft. They are into whatever it was. And so they come and confess, hey, we've been reading our horoscope. And it is a horror, by the way. We, we've been consulting mediums. You know, we went out of that house with a little hand outside and we asked them to tell the future. I don't care what the future holds because I know who holds the future. And it'll be all right because I'm going to do the best I can and then I'm going to die. As my daddy taught me, those little boys, only two things in the world I had to do. Die and live till I did die. I've never heard a truer statement in my whole life. That's what you got to do. Die and live till you do die. Now how you live, that might make a difference. And so they came, they confessed it, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value, and this is a chunk of money. I didn't, I didn't try to figure it out, but it, it was, it's a lot of money. And they burned all the materials they had that was involved with the occult. I will just tell you briefly, at 14, I became aware of the reality of demons. And that's kind of a long story. I heard all the stories in Church growing up, I believed, you know, intellectually there was such a thing, but I became aware of the reality when I was 14. And, and to not tell the whole story, I became aware there were things in my house that I grew up in 
that were there by ignorance that probably the devil had planted in that house through just, again, ignorance. I, again, I don't want to get into it. And so I destroyed all of those. And let me just tell you, it was a great day. I could tell a difference when I did not hold on to those things that brought evil to, to me. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. When demons are dealt with rightly, the word of God goes even further. You following that? And let me just tell you, and, 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 and I've, I've done all this. In true repentance, they confessed, they disclosed what they were doing, and they destroyed the tools that the enemy used in their life. And that's what you got to do. You got to first confess it. Hey, God, this is wrong. I agree with you. I confess it. I, I've been doing this stuff. And then destroy the things that, that, that keep you in that. And so I want you to understand some of the way Satan, three big areas that Satan gets us. The first one that I have listed is secret sins. And it's called it's secret sins. In the book of Proverbs and chapter 10, I... Uh, the writer of Proverbs talks about holding in things that were not uh, right and, and indulging in those. It says, treasures gained by wickedness don't profit. Righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but thwarts the craving of the wicked. The slack hand causes poverty. The hand of the diligent makes rich. And, and, he, and he keeps talking that way. He comes down uh, to verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I remember as a little boy, I grew up five blocks down from a strip of bars, and we call that place the Strip, right? If you were in the Navy in the, up to the 70s and 80s, you know it as Reynolds Avenue. The church I grew up in was on that street. Nothing but bars, jumping gang for Hell's Angels was there. They were called the Tribulators in those days. And uh, one of my cousins was, uh, owned one of those bars and was a prostitute on that, on that street. And so, so I was well aware of that. And something I noticed when I was a kid, I never saw a bar with a bright, clear, open window. Evil always wants to hide. It always wants to be behind something dark that you don't see. You see, in James 1, here's Satan's ammunition. In James 1, he says... That you are tempted by your own lusts. People come to me sometimes and they've, they've stumbled in their Christian life. And, I, and there's two big things I want them to understand. One, I say, do you know why you feel guilty? Do you all know the answer to that? It's because you are guilty. So you got to acknowledge that and ask Jesus to take away your guilt. And then secondly, I say, why do you think you did that? And most of the time people say, I don't know. And I say, well, I know why you did it. And they go, really, why? I said, because you wanted to. James 1 says we sin because we want to. And we give, we give an area for Satan to come in and pull us along. And he makes a progression in James 1. And he says, and then when it's conceived, it brings forth sin. It's that hidden desire of our heart that takes us into sin. But God knows them. In Psalm chapter 90, uh, or the 90th Psalm in verse 8, the Bible says he knows our heart. He knows our intentions. He knows where we are and that the things we do are not hidden to him. And in Hebrews, it says that nothing is hidden from the God with whom we have to do. That God knows even the thoughts and intentions of my heart. In, in Psalm 90 and verse 8, if I can get these pages to turn. My fingers are dry and the pages are dry. Here we go. No. I'm going to have to drop it, aren't I? 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We like to quote famously that Abraham Lincoln said you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And then he said, and you can't fool God anytime. But we, all, we dropped that off because he referenced God. But that is literally what he said. And the Bible says that God is beholding our secret sins. He knows what those are. And so confession and repentance is the only thing that will deliver us. And that's Psalm 32. Uh, I hope you're writing some of these references down. Psalm 32. You can go home and read it. But it says, Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up uh, as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. We love reading that la those last few verses about, oh, the victory in God, but it comes after David repented. Of his sin. And if you hold on to a secret sin, Satan will always have a foothold in your life. Another place that Satan attacks us is in fellowship, in the fellowship of the church. If you don't believe that, you've never been a member of a church. Fellowship was designed by God for mankind. In Genesis 1, he said, It's not good for man to be alone. And that's still true. Very few times have you ever heard of a mass murderer. Getting caught and everybody going, that was the friendliest guy in the neighborhood. Usually it's a guy nobody knew about. He was doing that in secret and hiding. God expects us to be accountable to one another. He, he strengthens and protects us. In John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said, I pray that they are one as we are one. He expects us to be united, to be together against the enemy. I can't fight him by myself, and neither can you. We need each other. We cannot go against Satan without each other's help. And fellowship also grows believers. In Proverbs 13 and other places, the Bible talks about how that a friend will strengthen his friend. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens his brother. It's in fellowship that we grow together, and we challenge each other, and we are able to accomplish even more. And so Satan will attack us in our secret sins that we need to forsake. And that's why unity and fellowship is so important. It's so important. When we separate ourselves from the fellowship of the church, you are now a lone sitting duck, as we like to say. And then lastly, he attacks the family. And I, I, I didn't plan to do that, but I realized that this is probably his number one target. I, let me make some comments about that. Because the family is God's main plan. Genesis 1.19, when he said it's not good for man to be alone, he made him a woman. Out of his rib, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, to be a helper fit for him. If you, if you remember the old King James says, a help meet for him. And, and that got a helpmate, and it got deteriorated into that. But in that old English style, it's not old English, but in that English style, a helper 
Meat means fit, fit for him. It's like two sides of a scissors, of a pair of scissors. You ever notice that? One little device you use is called a pair of scissors because one of them will cut. It will incise something. When you put them together, they are scissors. And if you get a pink and shear with a nail clipper, it don't work so good. But when the two sides are in harmony, it'll cut what it's designed to cut, right? That's, that's an illustration to help you understand that a man and a wife are to be together working to do the, the work that God designed you to do. So it was God's first institution of order. It, was, it, it brings order to, to society. It brings authority. God is over us, and in the New Testament, because of the fall of man, the, the, the man is the one that answers to God in a, in an authoritative way. And some people distort that, that the submission of the woman is like a master and slave, and that's crazy. You're equal partners with different roles. You, you, you understand the father's subject to the will of the son. Jesus is subject to the will of the father. The spirit is subject to the will of Jesus. Are they inferior? Not at all. They're equal in power, majesty, and essence. They are all God but they work in cooperation with one another and understood roles that they designed themselves. And when they designed us, they gave us designed roles. And so guess what? God is three in one, and we can't explain that in a satisfactory way to human understanding, but we do believe that. But he also said, a man and a wife are, and the two shall be one flesh. We resemble and reflect the Trinity in our marriage. That's why God doesn't want that distorted. And we live in a society where it's distorted daily. And so there's authority given through the family, and then the children learn about responding to authority. Kids raised without authority in the home, yeah, get in trouble later. It's also reproduction. God gave the family so that mankind would continue to exist. And remember in Ephesians, Paul said, oh, and by the way, I'm talking about Jesus in the church. There's cooperation. You learn to get along, work together. There's a purpose and accomplishment in the family. If Satan can destroy the authoritative image of obedience and, and authority and, and submission and, 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 and accomplishment and purpose in the family, then the church won't look right. And if the church doesn't look right, society won't look right. And if society doesn't look right, the world won't look right. And I know it takes two. I, I'm not fussing at anybody. I am setting out a standard that we all pray and strive for. And secondly, in our family, I want you to understand that all other institutions reflect family. There's no other institution on earth that, that is not a model of the family. Look at the leaders of any organization. In some organizations, they say, you're like, he's like a father figure. He, he is the one saying, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. There's a lot of people involved, but there's an understood leader. God is our leader. God is our father, right? And, and so there's that. Uh, there are always followers in any other organization. I like the little saying, lead, follower, get out of the way. Some people are neither leaders or followers. They're just spectators. And that's a horrible, <laughs> that doesn't help the, the institution you're a part of. There are producers, Right? A husband and wife produce children. They expect their children to produce good in the family and then grow up and hopefully do the same thing as they go forward. They're consumers in a family. 
When your baby's little, all he knows is I'm hungry, and he lets you know that by screaming at the top of his lungs or her lungs. Until you feed them, and then they spit up and go to sleep content. Until they poop their diaper and wake you up again. <laughs> at which time they're probably hungry and want to be fed again. The goal is, the goal is to get them out of that stage and not kill them before you do. <laughs> I only joke, I joke, I joke. There are consumers in a family. But what are we trying to do? Turn those consumers into contributors. I like to always say about our children, I never was raising children, I was raising adults. I'll just leave that there because we'll be talking about family for six weeks. And so there are reproducers as they go out. They go out and reproduce, and hopefully we've given them a good thing to reproduce. And there are educators in the family. Did you know that? It is not the church's job to teach your children spiritual things, nor is it the school's responsibility to teach your children academic things. That's your job, Dad. That's a preview of next week's sermon. Now, you may use tools like the church and school. Obviously, we do. But it's not their responsibility. It's yours under God to do that. My kids went to a private Christian school, and they came home, and I'd have to help them because <laughs> I didn't like some of the stuff they were learning. It's the main building block of everything in the world is the family. So no wonder the devil wants to destroy it through abortion, through drugs, through media, through entertainment, through all the things we see. He's out to destroy the family, distort that image. It is the favorite target of Satan. All evils trace back to attacks on the family. Secular sociologists, no, not screaming redheaded preachers, social sociologists that don't even claim the name of Christ will tell you that the crime in the streets, the unwanted pregnancies, the drugs in the streets are from a lack of fathers in the home. That is a statistical reality. So Satan attacks the men. And if Satan can destroy the family, he can destroy the world. And he's been doing that. Well, how can you apply all this stuff I said? Listen, we're in a battle. You've got to be in that fight. You're not strong enough to do it. These seven sons of Sceva heard the formula. Paul would say, I adjure you by Jesus Christ to come out. He, he would invoke the name of Christ, and he walked in that authority. But you've got to have that relationship. So you need to make a plan who, how everybody in your realm of influence can hear the gospel. Where you work, where you live, where you play, in your neighborhood, how, if you don't make a plan, if you pl fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And so how, make a plan. How can I witness to the guy at work or the lady at work? How can I witness to that neighbor? How can I witness to my friend? How can I witness to when I go to the gym? How can I somehow open a conversation about Jesus Christ? Secondly, before you go to battle, make sure you are prepared. Ephesians 6, putting on the armor. You better be sure you're saved. You better be sure you have the righteousness of Christ. You better be ready to spread the gospel. You better have on the sword, the, the belt, the girdle, holds everything together and have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and a shield of faith before you go into battle. And you've got to put each part on by prayer. Be ready. And then what scheme is Satan most likely to destroy you and your family? Where is it? I'm going to make a statement, and you don't have to say amen. In fact, I would encourage you to be as still and quiet as you can. Every person in this room has a tendency to a particular sin. Don't say anything. <laughs> because that's a reality. 
And that is a place you better guard diligently, but you also got to guard your strength. Because the minute you quit paying, you say, well, I got this part, man, I got that. I've, I've got to pay attention over here because this is where I'm weakest. And then you go, I don't need to even worry about that. Satan will come around in the back door and get you. I'm just telling you, he's always after you and he's always looking for an opening. And Satan never walks past an open door. He doesn't turn in into that open door. He never goes by a vacant lot. He doesn't stop and build a playground on it. And so we have to be diligent in our praying and in our guarding ourselves. And, and so where is it that you need to build a hedge around your family, around yourself, your first relationship between you and God, then your relationship is to your wife and your children, your family, and, and women, to your husband and your children. And, and that is our secondary responsibility. And then all of that culminates together in the church. Do you see how much we need each other? We all need God. That's the starting place. Without Him, we can't go anywhere else. But then our family, we need God in our family. We need God, godly families in our church. And so, <laughs> a preacher told me one time that a lady or a person came up to him, I was a lady or a man, during the invitation and said, and he said, how can I help? And he said, well, I, I just, I've got sin and I'm not sure what to confess. And he said, why don't you guess at it? And he said, they guessed right the very first time. <laughs> You may not want to tell me what it is, but all of you in your heart and mind right now know where you are weakest. And you know where you're strongest. Where do you need to start saying, Lord, <laughs> I really need you here. I need you everywhere. But... And then get away from it. You know how I can resist the temptation of Krispy Kreme donuts? Don't be around them. Because <laughs> if I'm around them, there's, there's a donut that's going to get eaten into eternity. I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's going away. So there are some temptations. You just got to say, uh-uh, build a wall, put barbed wire, broken glass on top, go, I ain't going there. There's a big old wall here. But don't neglect everything in your life where Satan can attack because there's many ways, many places.